Hi, this is Jim Mann along with Ali Pal. Yeah, and you're listening to the I Am Healing Strong podcast. I'm excited about who we're talking to today. Actually, I talked to them. You were out of town or something. You're excited because I think you secretly are a little bit of a groupie. No, no, no. Okay. Anybody who has had cancer or is fighting cancer or has somebody close to them has cancer, they know who this person is. Valid point. Valid, Valid point. Because point. Yeah. when you go and you Google anything about cancer, Chris Wark comes up. And he, he does. He I does. was really impressed Chris with all of his knowledge. Beat cancer is the name of the book that he wrote. And if you follow one person you know, for knowledge about how to beat cancer, it's Chris. Well, that kind of makes sense. It does. You go to his website, chrisbeatcancer.com. And he tells you how to beat cancer? He tells you how to beat cancer. And he's got, he interviews like the whole world. Oh. Except for you and me. Yep. And uh, so you get all the information you ever want to know about, hey, you can beat cancer. And you had already read his book Mm -hmm. when you found out you had cancer. Yes, I did. I, I read the book and it gave me hope. And uh, I talked about it on the radio because I was on the radio at the time. And oh yeah, you gotta you gotta put that in there. Well, oh, well, this is why because hundreds of people, hundreds, would, thousands, <laughs> millions of people, texted and emailed and called and walked into the studio. Said, "Where can I get that book?" Walked into the studio. I've been in that studio. So you walked in for the book. I, I did not walk in. We didn't give it to you though. <laughs> we sold millions of books for him. Millions. Maybe billions. We've gone from <laughs> hundreds to millions. I'm known to exaggerate at times, but so what there's a lot. So what basically saying is the five books that you sold, two of them are yours, and you secretly ask him to sign them after this interview. Yeah, he wouldn't do it. <laughs> I doubt that. He seems very nice. He told me not to talk to him anymore. <laughs> but he now has a restraining order. <laughs> just before he said that, though, I got to sit down with him and, and talk to him about his journey. And here it is. Well, Chris Wark, thank you so much for joining me. You are like probably the most well-known person in the arena of cancer. Not a arena you want to be in, but once you get the invitation, you're there and you got to make the best of it. Everybody I've ever talked to that is dealing with cancer, I said, have you, have you ever read Chris Wark's book? Oh, yeah. They all know about you. I can't tell anybody about you that doesn't already know about you other than people who don't have cancer. Well, mission accomplished uh, in the, the cancer world, sort of. You know, there are thousands of people diagnosed every day, every single day. And uh, so there's a, it's a big mission, really, uh, to reach those people who've, who are newly diagnosed and they're lost and they're confused and they need encouragement and hope and they need to understand that their choices matter, that the, the choices that they make can affect their future, can mean, mean all the difference between survival and death. Right. And that's, you know, regardless of the treatments they do, it's the t- choices they're making in their personal life, their diet and lifestyle choices and uh, their attitude and their their spiritual choices. All of these things are uh, so powerful. Most of them cost nothing. You just have to be willing to change right. and make different choices. Right. Break your bad habits and start doing things that are really good for you. So it's a big it's a big mission. I'm, I, I love hearing that. It makes me feel really good when I hear that someone said, hey, I told somebody about your book and they already knew about it, you know, or whatever. It's like, <laughs> it's great. You know, I'm, I'm reaching the people that I'm trying to reach, but it is, you know, it's just a constant stream right. of right. New, newly diagnosed people every single day. 
And then, of course, you got the whole the whole other <clears throat> group of people that don't have cancer, but they're on the path. You know what I mean? They're 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 headed down cancer road mm. with their diet and lifestyle, eating too much junk food, too much fast food, processed food, meat, dairy, sugar, salt, and oils. Smoking cigarettes, taking pharmaceutical drugs, drinking too much alcohol, uh, living in a state of bitterness and anger and resentment, envy, jealousy prejudice, all of these things, right? All of these things are con- contribute to disease and a short life. <laughs> so yeah. I'm trying to reach that, that group of people too, right? Yes. People who yes. do not have cancer, but one out of every two men and one out of, out of every three women are predicted to get it in their lifetime. So, right, you know, if you're not serious about cancer prevention, boy, you should be. When I got my diagnosis uh, that I had stage four melanoma, I did what every good American does. You Google about it. It was not a good thing. Found out I had just a month or two to live. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got to make all these videos for my kids, you know, for their wedding day or graduations or whatever it is. And like, it's a little bit overwhelming. You know, you've been tagged, you've got cancer and uh, what are you going to do about it? So I went through the operation, got that taken care of. Um, and they were shocked that it hadn't spread. But then after that, I started Googling you know, some answers. And of course, you came up with the Square One program that you've got. And uh, so I went through that. And that's uh, quite amazing. You're a researcher by nature, I take it. Well, I know I, I didn't used to be. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I was not a researcher before cancer. Wow. I was not, you know, I was in real estate. And I'm a musician. And so, you know, in, in the daytime, I was out working on houses and renovating houses and, and trying, to, trying to build a business in, in the real estate investing world, you know, sort of being a landlord and, and a maintenance man and all, everything. You know? And then at night, I was spending two or three, four nights a week, you know, writing music and playing shows and going on tour and playing in other cities. You know, it's just that's what I was doing. I wasn't researching anything. But then the cancer diagnosis, you know, just completely derailed my life. And um, I, I read one book, God's Way to Ultimate Health by George Malcolmus, that was sent to me by a friend of my dad. And that book completely, you know, sort of set me on a new path because it opened my eyes to this world of health and healing, natural healing, holistic health and raw food and juicing. And the concept that I call overdosing on nutrition, Mm. which is taking massive radical action and just flooding your body with as much good stuff as possible every day and trusting that in that process, you are facilitating life and health and healing and vitality. And so it started with one book and then it was another and another and another and another, right? Because I was just wanting to learn more and more and more because now I actually had a reason to research because my life was at stake. Right. And I, and I also was dealing with fear, you know, like, is, is this right? I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. So I, I was looking for more confirmation, you know, that it wasn't just some quack dude and made up story about healing cancer or something, you know. But I found, yeah, just tons of books and resources back then. The internet wasn't helpful back then. There was no social media. There was no YouTube. So it was just books and some cassette tapes and some VHS tapes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Dr. Lorraine Day and uh, Dr. Richard Schultz, you know, and some of these old school um, 
cancer healing folks that, that were very well known in the community, in, in the alternative cancer community, which was very small. And it was mostly just a word of mouth type community. Right. Most people so, thought of them as like tree huggers and just kind of crazy people, right? For sure. And yeah. when I when I converted to a raw food diet, which I did overnight after reading George's book, I found a raw food support group in Memphis. Someone told me, oh, there's a raw food group. You know, they meet once a month. It's like raw people that eat raw food. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. And I went to that meeting and it was, I went a few times, but it was just weird. You know, what the people weren't friendly. It was just very awkward uh, and, and not very helpful or encouraging. And, uh, but I, I quickly realized that, you know, the raw food diet was a diet for weirdos and sick people. It, it wasn't hip or cool. Yeah. Uh, there was no, like I said, there was no Instagram or Facebook. There were no like beautiful, you know, young people on the beach showing off their, you know, raw food recipes <laughs> in bikinis or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's, that's what it is now. Now that, you know, it's just been all polished up and it's much more attractive. Uh, but back then it was like, yeah, fringe weirdo diet and uh, for sick people. So I, I love the idea. Uh, and I was so curious and excited to, to see what would happen if I radically changed my diet and just started eating whole food, unadulterated, straight from nature, organic, of course. And, uh, and if that's all I ate, uh, what would happen? So that part was kind of easy, I felt like. I mean, I had the motivation because I had cancer and I was sick. But I also was really curious and excited because it just seemed so different, like a sort of a fun experiment. So that's where it started. And the research started there. Right. And it was just me reading more and more and more. And then there was a certain point where I researched enough right. that I felt like, OK, I'm good. You know, like I, I know what to do. I'm doing it. I'm doing as much as I can each day. And I really can't do any more than I'm doing. And I have to be OK with and comfortable with the fact that I'm doing enough. Right. Like I go to bed at night. I know I've done enough for today. And I can't worry about, oh, what if I'm not doing enough, doing enough? you know, because that's a common fear. And again, there, there weren't that many resources back then, too. And I kept finding the same information, like from book to book to book, it would just be like raw foods, juicing, right, exercise, uh, lymphatic massage or skin brushing, uh, rebounding, you know, and uh, forgiveness, <laughs> right? And so it was these themes or just re recurring themes from all of the survivors, books that I found, and uh, it, doctors and experts in the holistic health world, they're all saying the same things. So eventually it was kind of like, okay, I've got the, I, the common threads are obvious here. I just, you know, there's little opinions and little different ideas here and little supplement ideas and different things, you know, out there and the therapies that are, you know, I can still learn about and maybe try, but I had the core foundational principles of health and healing. That's what I focused on. So from there, you know, I just, created a plan. I worked the plan. I stuck with it. Just, just took care of myself and day by day worked on changing my life. And the diet and the exercise is the easy part. The hard part is your mindset, you know, catching yourself when you're thinking negatively and choosing to think positively, catching yourself in a state of fear and stopping and giving your fear to God and saying, I'm not going to be afraid. I trust you. Right. Just like laying your fear down at the feet of Jesus right? He's on the throne. Like I was doing that and th that took time. That's, that is a mental discipline 
right? It's a habit. Uh, and negativity and pessimism and judge, being judgmental and critical, these are all bad habits, right? They're, they're bad thought patterns. They're bad thought habits. And I had to really work to break those. And, and I, even today, I wouldn't say that I've totally broken them, right? Mm-hmm. I still am tempted to think negatively and critically and things like that. But anyway, I got a lot better. And then choosing to forgive everyone who had hurt me was a big part of it, too, is just combing through my life and giving all of my hurts and all of that to God and just one by one forgiving every person from my past who had hurt me in, in some way, whether it was a big way or a little way. It didn't matter. Like there was no one, no person was off limits. I decided I'm forgiving everyone. And I worked through that one by one. You can't do it in one sitting. You can get a lot done in one sitting, but daily in prayer or just as I was going through my day and I would remember a person or an event or whatever, I would just deal with it and say, God, you know what they did. You know how I feel about it. And I'm choosing to forgive them because I never have. I've never actively said, I forgive Jack or whatever, right, for this. So now I'm saying it. I'm making it official. Because <laughs> yeah. we, we often think that just moving on is sort of like forgiveness, but it isn't, you know. Mm-hmm. We all move on sort of and try to forget when people hurt us. So we just kind of forget it, move on from it, you know, whatever. But the pain is still there. It's still lingering, and the bitterness is still lingering. The resentment may still be lingering. And uh, forgiveness is an active choice. You know, you have to choose to do it. It's not a feeling, right? It's a choice. So, yeah, one by one, I, I forgave everyone who'd hurt me. That Jack, he offended me too. He's, he's something. Yeah, he's a real jerk. <laughs> so those are the things that take time that mm-hmm. you have to work on every day. And, and, you know, shameless book plug, that's what this book's about, Beat Cancer Daily. It's about working through the daily changes, the mindset, the attitude, the faith, forgiveness, and the practical stuff like diet and lifestyle changes. Like that's a daily devotional that I wrote. You know, the person that reads that book, you just read one page per day. And every day I'm, I'm trying to do my best to encourage you and inspire you and give you practical information to help you survive and thrive. So that came, you know, as a sort of companion to the first book. And I wrote it just because I realized, you know, somebody can read my book and they can take a lot of notes and they can do, you know, get busy, but they're not going to read my book every day. (laughs) And the cancer journey is, is just one day at a time. You know, it's like every day you need a little bit of encouragement, you know, right. It's, it's it's easy. You got got to remember to surrender your fear to God. You got to remember to choose to think positively. You got to remember to, you know, it's more of your thought life and your emotional life that needs constant monitoring, right? You can lock in on the diet and just repeat it every day. Like that's, like I said, that was the easy part mm-hmm. was changing my diet. And so the hard part's everything else. You know, the physical stuff's easy. And it's the mental, emotional, spiritual stuff. That's the hard stuff. Well, let, let's speak to the three people who don't know who you are. Perhaps they just got diagnosed with cancer. And of course, they're facing the fear now and the unknown because they haven't done all the reading of the books and the research and stuff. But can you like go back to when, like just before you were diagnosed, I mean, you were kind of flying high, things are going great. And then all of a sudden you get the diagnosis. I mean, I want people to know that you're also human. I mean, they see you as having all these answers now, but you had to go through that same journey and you face the fears and all kinds of stuff. Can you kind of speak to that? Yeah. I mean, it was terrifying. Like I'm not a superhero guy. I've, I've, 
I have a lot of information in my brain now because it's been 17 years, right? 10 years of really intensive research and then living through it and, and uh, all that leading up to, to the starting of the blog and writing the, the, my first book. So, yeah, I, I think if, when people find me, they think, oh, I can never be like Chris or whatever. And you don't have to be. Like, you don't have to become me. You don't have to write books uh, or start a blog or be a public figure. You just have to get well. Right. That's all you need to worry about is getting well. What all I'm trying to do is bring the information and the resources and encouragement, inspiration and hope to people, to patients especially, and the, the right resources that they can use to help themselves survive and thrive. And so I think it's so important that you, number one, absolutely, you have to believe that you can get well. Right. You have to want to live you have to be, get very clear about why you want to live. Do you want to live? Yes or no? Do you want to get well? Yes or no? Why do you want to get well? Why do you want to live? You've got to be very clear about these things. If you're not sure, then spend some time thinking about it, <laughs> right? Figure out what do you have to live for? Is it your, your kids, your grandkids, great-grandkids? Is there a mission in life you haven't accomplished? Is there, are there goals or dreams that you, you haven't even started working on? But you got to figure that out. you got to get real clear because that's going to help you. That will propel you forward. That'll be your motivation and determination. Like, why do you want to live? What do you have to live for? And then once that's established, you also have to believe you can get well. Those two things go hand in hand. If you have a strong will to live and you believe you can get well, that will propel you, right? That's like, that is the fuel in your engine that will keep you on track because there's a lot of temptation and there's a lot of discouragement and frustration along the way that can easily get you off course if you're not really clear on why you're doing what you're doing, why you're eating so much freaking broccoli. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you got you to gotta know why you're doing it. And so th- what, what I'm talking about, I call it the beat cancer mindset. It's a, it's a personal responsibility mindset where you, you accept full responsibility for your life and your health and your situation. And you're willing to look in the mirror and say, you know what? This may be my fault. My situation may be my fault. It's probably my fault. I'm okay with it being my fault, right? I'm okay with it. I'm, I forgive myself for my mistakes and I'm going to change my life. I'm going to do everything in my power to help myself get better. And so doing everything in your power and not making any excuses and embracing the journey, these are all these, what I, again, components of what I call the beat cancer mindset of just embracing this new season of life. It's a healing adventure. You know, here we go. All right. This is, (laughs) we are on an adventure. There's that, there's a funny expression. It's like, you know, vacation plus catastrophe equals adventure. And uh, this is, it's the same kind of thing, right? You're not on vacation, but you can, you can shift your mindset to any catastrophe in life, any tribulation, obstacle, you can look at it negatively and say, this is bad. This is going to be hard. I don't want to do this. Or you can just flip a switch and say, you know what? Here we go. This is an adventure. It may be tough, but we're going to do this thing. We're going to get through it. And believing that you can get well means seeing yourself well on the other side of it. And there's something that's even more important, not only believing that you can get well, but believing that your life will be better after cancer than it was before. 
I mean, that is huge. And I can tell you, if anyone is looking to me for inspiration, I can tell you without a doubt, my life is much better, infinitely better after cancer than it was before. So cancer was not a life ender for me. It felt like it at the time. The diagnosis felt like the worst thing in the world and my life is over. And But it wasn't. It was just a massive wake-up call, the divine tap on the shoulder. By the way, this belief was rooted in Scripture. Romans 8.28 says, God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So if, you're, if you are willing to exercise your faith and believe that that promise from Scripture is true, that God works everything for your good, that means he works the bad things for your good, Right? He takes the bad thing and he twists it and he uses it to produce something good out of it. Like, you know, when a tree dies and, you know, a plant dies, it drops all this seed on the ground. You're like, oh, the plant's dead, but the seed will take root and grow. And then you've got a new harvest the next year. That's just one of the laws of nature. I had a very shallow understanding of these things in 2004 when I was first trying to figure out how to survive. But... I did believe that God was going to work it for my good. I didn't know that my life would be better after cancer, but I believed he would work it for my good. One thing I noticed that people have in common who have had cancer and are thriving is it's almost like their life is in color now as opposed to black and white before because you you realize, I mean, anybody, their life could end, you know, before the sun sets from all kinds of stuff. But once you have cancer, it becomes more real and you're like, my gosh, I got to do everything on purpose. I have to be intentional about what I do. And, And you start thinking about not just wasting your days. But uh, how, how can I give back? How can I make life better for others? So it's that's like been across the board, I've noticed. That's such a great analogy. It's like the Wizard of Oz, you know, when it goes yeah. from black and white to color. Uh, yeah, it's true. It's, there's a there's a richness to life that manifests after a cancer diagnosis. Sometimes it doesn't. And that depends on the, the patient. Right. It depends on their mentality and their outlook. But I'd say most of the time, it's like a hard reset. And when you reboot, <laughs> you realize how precious life is and, you know, how much you have to be thankful for in the middle of the scariest adversity, right? You realize how good your life is and how much you had taken for granted. Uh, that is transformative. You just realize, yeah, oh my gosh. You know, I, I like to say that cancer just cuts your life in half. Right. And you got the, the BC and the AD. You got BC before cancer, AD after diagnosis. And you realize that your priorities are completely different after diagnosis. And everything you cared about before the diagnosis, most of that you stop caring about. You know, you stop caring about fame or fortune or uh, success or like material stuff. And all you care about. Really, you know, this, the, the healthy person has cares about everything. The sick person only cares about one thing, and that's getting well. Right. You know, and then beyond that, you, your family and, and just basic, just getting your basic needs met. <laughs> and everything else is like, who cares? Who cares? I just want to get well. And so that's, that's definitely the mindset that I, was, that I had, for sure. I, you know, I just let a lot of things go. I was like, I don't care. You know, what's the point? What's the point in holding on to resentment or bitterness or anger? Let it go. It's just going to drag you down anyway. And so I focused on gratitude and joy. And that, this is gratitude is a superpower. If you understand how to harness gratitude 
it's just so powerful. You know, the, it's all throughout the Bible. You know, it's just like give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. I mean, if you're just constantly giving thanks to God for the good things in your life, you got to identify the good things and give th- and say, thank you. Thank you that I can get out of bed. Thank you that I can feed myself. Thank you that I can see that, you know, I had, a, I had a, a friend, dear friend who's passed away now that I used to go to church with and he played guitar on the worship team with me. His name was Billy Littlejohn and he was blind. He was a blind man and an incredible lead guitar player. And he was blind and I would uh, often go pick him up and bring him to church or to practice for the team. And I just got to be very close with him. And he was just such such an incredibly enthusiastic and grateful and joyful man. He was blind. You know, I had to lead him, lead him by the hand up the stairs, wow. in the door, through the sanctuary, onto the platform, to his chair. You know, I mean, like just think about it. just one thing that you have to be thankful for is your eyesight. And there's so much more. So I can spend all day counting my blessings. And when something happens that I don't like, in in just a moment, I can stop and start counting my blessings and I'm over it. You know, whatever was making me angry or frustrated or irritated or unhappy, I can just stop and say, wait a second, let me just take stock real quick of all the good stuff I've got going in my life. And and it, it outweighs the bad a thousand to one, you know, probably more than that. Family who loves me, I've got a home, you know, food, money to pay the bills, on and on and on, even if I have a health problem. I, that's one one of the many lessons that cancer taught me, and I think a lot of people do learn that, uh, is how to focus on the good things in their life and not dwell on the bad things and the scary things. In some cases, certain patients will uh, will really go down that, that um, wormhole of discouragement and despair and depression, and it's really hard. It's really sad to see, and it's, it's heartbreaking. But sometimes they just become more angry and more bitter and um, more unhappy. I don't know how to snap somebody out of that condition. Yeah. But it is, you do see it sometimes. Especially when and the doctor yeah. gives them a diagnosis of, you know, six months or something. And that's all they think about. And, of course, the body just starts yeah. shutting down because it hears your mind. And treatments are so brutal that mm-hmm. a person who is really optimistic and and is in the right mindset in the beginning of the cancer journey <clears throat> can get worn down over time. Just They're just tired of suffering. And I understand that. I really do. I understand that. Just There's only so much suffering that one person can endure and still stay positive and hopeful, <clears throat> especially when it's suffering accompanied with you know bad news constantly and a bleak, hopeless outlook for medical professionals. And so I'm trying to reach those people. Too, because I've interviewed a number of patients who've healed against the odds, dozens and dozens of patients who've healed against the odds, all types and stages of cancer, some after they were sent home to die, right, in the worst possible position to be in. Hmm. Gone through all the treatments, they failed. Go home, you know, get your affairs in order. And people got well. So Chris Beat Cancer, if anybody doesn't know anything about my website, it's not just a bunch of me. <laughs> I've interviewed tons of doctors, tons of ex- experts and researchers and, and holistic long-term survivors uh, who have healed against the odds and have incredible inspirational stories and a lot of them better than mine, right? I had surgery. So people can say, oh, you had surgery, but 
there are people who, yeah, who've uh, had no treatments and healed. There's others that have had all the treatments and they failed and they still got well. And so if that doesn't give you hope and inspiration and show you that healing is possible, I don't know what else to do. You know, it's like, I think we need to believe each other, you know, and more now than ever in human history, do we actually need to listen to each other and stop listening to authorities who are, you know, uh, have perverse incentives, Right. Uh, and those incentives are almost always money and control and power under the guise of we are we have you are protecting you. We have your best interest at heart. We are the health authorities. Uh, and the reality is we just need to listen to each other and believe each other and trust each other and share information that's that's helping and working. And we can get through anything yes. as, as humans, you to know, me, as people. To me, it sounds like. I mean, you're a man of faith. You believe in Jesus yes. as your savior. But like before you had cancer, before you had the diagnosis, it's like most of <laughs> us, you, know, you believe in God, but you kind of have the reins. And then all of a sudden, when the cancer hits, suddenly you give the reins over to God and it takes it in a whole different direction. Now you're a spokesman and, and changing people's lives is for health and uh, helping them to think better about things and you're basically saving lives is what you're doing because God's in control now, right? Yes. Jesus, take the wheel, <laughs> which is funny because uh, was you. The, guy wrote, <laughs> the guy who wrote that song is actually marrying my cousin. No. He and I, his name's Brett James. And uh, yeah, so he, he's actually getting married to, uh, to my, to my cousin Melody uh, very soon. So he and I will be related, which is kind of funny and cool. But um, yeah, but that's true. For sure. I was a believer before I got cancer. I was really, I'm really thankful that I, I was really plugged in and to church and had a lot of credible people disciple me and speak into my life and really strengthen my faith uh, in the years leading up to my cancer diagnosis. I'd say about four years before my diagnosis in that time, I really grew a lot um, as a believer in, in my faith. And so it really prepared me for what was about to, what was coming. But then when it happened, uh, then I had to really get you know, it was a, it was a major faith test because, right. you know, faith's pretty easy when your life's good. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and a lot of people, they don't even really need God. Right. They don't think they need God because they've got food and clothing and shelter and and friends and, you know, uh, loved ones. And so, like, what do I need God for? Like, everything's going good. Right. It's only when you run into it, you know, when your circumstances get out of your control then it, human nature is to, is to be like, reach out for help, you know, in your soul and your spirit, you know, there's, you desperately need help and it's out of your control. And that's when you find people who are not believers or who are just, maybe they believe, but they don't really act like, you know, they're not really actively pursuing a relationship with God. That's the big wake up call for them to be like, okay, if God, if you're there, I need help. Like now I need help bad. I'm I'm willing to do anything. I'll change everything. Like, you know, right. help me. We find and, in the valleys, that's for sure. Yeah. And so, of course, that was, it was really intense. And I uh, just had to really surrender in a deeper way and decide, do I believe all of this for real? Right. Do I believe it for real? And I was living my life like, like I did, but it, it was just a, another level. <laughs> right of faith that was required, you know, like, am I really going to cast my cares on him? Like it says to do, like cast your cares on him and give God your fear and your worry. Am I really going to do that? Yeah, I'm going to do it. You know, am I really going to quote scripture over my life and, 
and search the Bible, right, and read and research the Bible and find the promises of God and, and grab a hold of them. Say, these are for me. You know, I'm claiming these promises. You know, my, one of my favorite verses that I quote all the time is Psalm 34, 19. The righteous may have many afflictions, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Some versions say the righteous may have many troubles, you know. But when I found that verse, I was like, yes, this is, this is my banner over my life right here. This is the verse for me right now. And I'm going to believe that it's true, that he is going to deliver me. And I had to, you know, just dwell on that and meditate on it and just repeat it and remind myself constantly, this is like, this is a promise for me. And that's something that anyone can do. You don't have any special gift, you know, of faith. You know, there are things in my life that I'm thankful for that prepared me for the, the diagnosis. But one of them was being an only child helped. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it helped because when you're an only child, you know, you're independent. Yeah. And you don't have siblings, you know, pressure from siblings to do things. Uh, you don't feel the need, at least me, I don't feel that I never felt the need to conform. So I've always been a nonconformist, mm-hmm. always charted my own way in the world and, and was never interested in fitting in. And so when it came time to say no to chemotherapy, it was hard, but it wasn't that hard. Right. Because I was I was comfortable doing it alone without people understanding I had very little support in the beginning. That's why I love Healing Strong so much, because it's like the support group that I wish I had had when I was diagnosed. Because I didn't, again, I just didn't have one. It, I had my mom, and eventually my wife came around, and I found a naturopath, and then I found an integrative MD, and that was about it. I didn't have any cancer buddies at that time. So it was just a very, very small little group of support, but it was mostly just every day, just me and Jesus. <laughs> okay. He's pretty good support. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> I mean, that's how I felt. I'm like, it's just me and you, Jesus. I ain't got nobody else. Yeah. Everybody thinks I'm crazy. So I need a little help, right? I need some, need some direction. You might have to carry me across the beach like the footsteps <laughs> poem. <laughs> that's right. I can relate a lot to you because, you know, I grew up in church and I believed in God. And I, in fact, I played bass on the worship team and things are going great. No, no big deal in my life that make me stress out or anything. And I was always happy. And then, of course, the diagnosis. And suddenly God was more real to me, even though I thought he was extremely real. But then he came even more so. He kind of humbles you when cancer hits. Not that I, th- I didn't think I was a proudful person, but... Uh, I was. Yeah, well, obviously I was too, because I got more humble. And the thing is, I was on radio at the time, and I thought, you know, all I do is just make sarcastic jokes. People laugh, you know, brighten their day a little bit. I don't really have a lot of value. But then when I was talking about my uh, cancer, and I joke about it, you know, I even had a little segment called Tumor Humor. I can laugh at my own cancer. I don't laugh at other people, of course. But, uh, you know, I had people call in and say, yeah, I have cancer, and I was giving up until I saw, you know, Jim Mann was you know, making fun of his own cancer and had a great attitude. And so he was, you know, as one guy goes, so I, I decided to have a good attitude and, and now he's thriving. I'm like, I can use just about anybody. Obviously he can use a donkey. He can use any of us. And in fact, I think I sold at least 200 of your books because people are constantly calling say, what is that book? You know, oh, that's using? great. You know, I do forgive you for not giving me royalties because I, I have <laughs> oh, to. <laughs> I believe me, my royalties are very small. <laughs> That's what you get when you do a book deal. I appreciate you taking the time out. I know you do interviews 
all the time. Where do you go from here? Well, I've got a cookbook called Beat Cancer Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're really excited. It's full color, beautiful, 125 recipes, all plant-based, whole food plant-based recipes. We're really excited about it. I mean, there's there's just so many incredible, delicious recipes. My wife and I, are, are we're, she's a co-author. We worked on it together. And yeah. That's exactly what I need. I need someone to tell me exactly what to do in the kitchen because I'm not. Yeah. We, not my, our, my audience has been begging for a cookbook for years. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, I don't want to write a cookbook. You know, it just seemed like a lot of work. and But um, we got it done. Well, I appreciate the time, and I'm I'm really glad that you are closely related to Healing Strong. It's a great organization, and it's that's kind of the way I'm giving back. There was not a group in my area, so I thought, well, I'm not really a leader, but I jumped in and became a leader, and I'm actually learning from the group probably more than they're learning. And that's we the way it works, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and of course, they all know who you are. They've all read your book. Well, and look, th- can I just say, you, you're making my point. Like, we learn from each other. Yes. You know, that's the thing. It's like... We don't need leaders telling us what, everything we need to know and do, right? We just need to get together, right? Everybody brings a level of experience and expertise to the table. Yeah, I mean, I've learned so much. I mean, everything that I know, I didn't just learn it from the trees. <laughs> I learned it from other people. I learned it from other survivors and doctors and scientists. Like, that's where I learned from. And I didn't learn it from politicians. And I didn't learn it from the CDC. So I learned it from real people who care and have no motives other than helping others. And so thank you for being a Healing Strong Leader, Jim. It's just so awesome that you do that. And um, I just love, I love the organization. I love everybody involved with it. It's just such a great thing. And I'm excited. We're talking about, Susie and I have been talking about, you know, expanding healing strong and doing something that's that serves people on an even higher level and so you got a beautiful family two little daughters right how old are they now man they're not even little anymore no 16 and 13 oh no so the 13 year old still got some growing to do uh but the 16 year old she's like full grown man yeah i mean she's just a young lady now and it's like i love her so much they're both just such great kids and fun and funny and beautiful and smart. And they're just, you know, and when I had cancer, I had no children. Yeah. And that's really one thing that kicked my butt into gear was I wanted to be a dad. I didn't know how much time I had left. Right. And so I asked my wife if we could start a family and she made the courageous decision to say yes. She loved me so much, you know, it gets me teared up. (laughs) But yeah, she loved me so much that she's willing to start a family, not knowing if I would be around to help, you know, raise this child. And then our, we got pregnant, like, right away. Her family is fertile. <laughs> and so a year after my diagnosis, I was back in the hospital holding this beautiful baby girl. Wow. Yeah. That probably helped you mentally that you oh know, yeah, wanted to be around. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's now I got something else to live for. Yeah. And I didn't, I, I'll close this loop too, because I know we're about to wrap it up. But what I had to live for in the beginning was my wife, my mom, and my dad. That was it, right? I got very clear. Like, I have to live for these three people. I had been with my wife for six years. We, we dated for, no, eight years, because we dated for six years, and we were married for two at that time. So it was like, I'm a pretty big deal to these three people, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? 
I couldn't say that about anybody else, but I'm a pretty big deal to my parents. I'm their only child. Yeah. And to my wife, and we've been together eight years. I've got to live for these people. I couldn't bear the thought of them putting me in the ground. It was just the pain of that was so, oh my gosh, it was heartbreaking to think about that. And then, you know, Marin, our firstborn came along and I was like, okay, now I got four people to live for, (laughs) you know? So, you know, full circle on the uh, find your reasons to live. Those were mine. Those were mine. And then we had Mackenzie uh, three and a half years after that. And and by that time I was, you know, pretty close to being out of the woods, you know, because that was four and a half years after my diagnosis, Mackenzie. So I was almost at the five-year mark at that point. So the stakes were much lower. When she came along, but yeah, those were the you know the two biggest one of the two biggest blessings of, of the cancer journey was was the kick in the pants to be a dad. <laughs> yeah, I have a Mackenzie too. I have a Mackenzie, Michaela, Michael, and Mason. Oh, look at that! All the M's. We've got three M. Micah is my wife, and then two Marin and Mackenzie are the daughters. Yep, I'm the oddball. Well, for people to get a hold of you, obviously, they just go to crispycancer.com, and you can spend yeah. days there listening to videos, different. Uh, yeah. It's a free site. There's tons of articles and, and videos. And the very first post on there is, you know, how to get started, like where to start. And because it's a lot of information to navigate. So we, I try to give people a sort of a straight path to kind of get to the most important information first and and get through that and, and get busy changing their life. And of course, the books are there for that. And I have a course called Square One that's there for that too, to help people really change their life. You can do it. Again, I'll say it, I said at the beginning and I'll close with it. The most powerful things you can do to change your life, to affect your future, to drop your risk of dying, to increase your risk of survival. The most powerful things you can do are almost all free. They cost you nothing. You just have to be willing to change your diet, exercising, faith, forgiveness, these are things that cost, most, most of them cost nothing. Eating healthier doesn't really cost more money. If you don't, if you stop eating out and stop buying, you know, sugary drinks and all this kind of stuff and coffees and all that, you, you find you have, you have enough money to buy organic produce. So that's, uh, uh, I think, a really powerful revelation that I hope people will get a hold of. Right. It's, it's the most powerful things that you do cost you nothing and healing happens at home. So whatever therapies you choose, it's what you're doing between between the office visits, between the, the treatments that's going to make all the difference in survival and healing. So I'm here. We, you know, I'm here to encourage people to do that. That's what our community is. We're just in- encouraging people and loving on them and supporting them. doesn't matter if they do chemo or don't do chemo. It doesn't matter if you're going through cancer. We just want to give you tools and resources and encouragement to to get through it. Survive and thrive. Chris, thanks for being on this podcast and thanks for all you do. Thank you, Joe. Wow, he really knows his stuff. So you read all that in a book and you kind of put that to life with yourself? Well, I've read that book and and the further I got into it, it's like five inches thick. (laughs) Okay. Which is how many pages? Us normal people, Jim, call them pages. It was a lot, hundreds and thousands of pages of information. (laughs) I got in there and all of a sudden I started, my head started hurting because there's so much information and I don't have room for so much stuff in my head. Even though it's large. Even as large as yeah, it is. <laughs> but it, they were big words and it filled up my head a lot. But I, I took the simple things like uh, like smoothies and stuff like that. Just blend it up. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, now I, I have the uh, carrots and the um, Granny Smith apples. I love that. Yeah. 
I uh, juice that. That's true. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. So, yeah, you've been doing that for a while now. And, and um, look at me. Yes. <laughs> look at Thank you. Thank you. You look remarkable <laughs> as what she's trying to say. No, you are the picture of health these days. Mm-hmm. That's right. When you go into a nursing home, you can pick me out right away. <laughs> and he has this big salad he eats every day, sometimes twice a day. And I just... I've made that, kind of laid my face into the bowl because it's very big, and just start eating. <laughs> it takes me a while, but it is excellent. We've got another great guest coming up next week, so you don't want to miss out on the I Am Healing Strong podcast. And don't forget to check out healingstrong.org and uh, find out what uh, that organization is all about, how you can support it, how you can be a part of it. And uh, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the I Am Healing Strong podcast. Every week we bring you stories of hope from people who are facing life-altering challenges and finding out that God has a plan for your life no matter what you're facing. It's all a part of the Healing Strong organization. To find out more about Healing Strong, go to the website at healingstrong.org.